Folks, greetings and welcome, or welcome back, to uh, a second season of the Boney Island Whitefish. I am Andrew, and I'm here with my wonderful friend Riley. Hello, it is I. Uh, I'm back to getting up early so I can (laughs) uh, talk about some of the coolest stuff to ever be on television. (laughs) Uh, that's the curse of the time difference, because I am not willing to record a podcast at like 3 a.m., mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. That's yeah, just my selfish way. And you know what? If you were willing to record a podcast at 3 a.m., we could have watched a good show. We could have had <laughs> the Boney Island um, good episode of The Simpsons Fish, for example, as just one exa- one thing that we could have done. But nope, you want to stay up late. Uh, don't, no, don't want to stay up late. Uh, so I have to get up early and then inflict uh, some of the best stuff ever to be on the mid two thousands uh, of police procedurals. Yeah. Look, I put it to you that if we were watching a good show, that this show just wouldn't be the same. Uh, I think mm-hmm. you know we would just say we watched a show and get this. It made sense. <laughs> it made sense. everything made sense. It was uh, fine. Nothing. Nothing was particularly arch. Um, at no point did I pause the show that I was watching and say, what? No, it was a pure, well-structured, uh, A, B, C, all the stories tied together nicely uh, in a neat little package. And you know what? It left us asking a few questions and perhaps wanting more. That's the kinds of things we would be saying if we were watching different shows from the ones we are watching. <laughs> uh, but... Anybody who did listen to the first season of the Boney Island Whitefish would remember that we watched uh, season five of Police Procedural Bones. Or I <laughs> and guess crucially, it's, it's... no more than season five. <laughs> nothing before, no. nothing after. As far as we're concerned, it's the only season of the show that they made. Uh, they introduced characters to us from out of nowhere, seemingly expecting us to know about their personalities and relationships to each other. Strange writing, we said to each other. Mm, I would have probably started somewhere else, maybe with some more normal cases that they could have realized, hang on a sec, we've run out of normal ways for someone to get murdered. Uh, <laughs> and we did it by halfway through season, what would have, in theory, been season one. So you'd imagine things get a little odd or a little bit forced a little bit later than that. Now, uh, any rocket scientists or brain surgeons listening to the show... Uh, might be aware that we cannot watch season five of the television show Bones twice. I mean, we could, but to be honest, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, and so, also, it would be a little bit of a sort of long, fo- like um, like a slow-motion Seeger Ross version of the worst idea of all time, which, well, a great show, is not the show we're doing. No, no. Uh, maybe a commentary track for our own episodes of us watching Bones. Um <laughs> <laughs> so instead, Ooh, remember you know, Spooky we've... Town? I remember Spooky Town. We could talk about oh, that for God. a little while. Um, so instead, you know, we've had to come up with something else. But first things first. Uh, people coming back to the show, you know what you're in for. You expect the greatest hits. 
And for that reason, we must immediately and urgently launch into Breakfast Update. Thank you, Andrew. Now, uh, I look, uh, people, ever since I tested, texted, texted, <laughs> ever since I texted all of my friends from Twitter, uh, ever since I tweeted that this is coming back, um, people have been suggesting various breakfast updates for me to have. Uh, they've been asking which mug I'm going to have my coffee out of. Mm-hmm. Um, they've even been suggesting that some of the mugs are broken. Um, uh, for example, the orange one, the great one. Uh, I can assure you, none of the mugs are broken. They are as they're in great shape. Uh, and however, because this necessitates an early rise for me, I actually have had a more unusual breakfast uh, for myself uh, than than I, I have been uh, recently. I've been really sort of leaning into um, uh, having... Okay, so uh, there's a little bit of context here. For a while, (laughs) I was having a lot of salmon and cream cheese on sourdough toast for breakfast. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. because I'm... Because, like, my main fear is being hungry, uh, I tend to have too much uh, cream cheese on my... my, uh, Quite a large piece of sourdough toast. It is to the point where a single pack of Philadelphia cream cheese would last me precisely two days. Um, <laughs> and then a, a sort of a pack of smoked salmon would also last me two days. This is an expensive and also very calorie-dense breakfast habit. Um, mm. So I switched over to having avocado uh, on, on the same sourdough toast, but then getting kind of you know wild with what goes on, like a lot of chili flakes, sesame seeds, a little olive oil, salt, and a lot of mm-hmm, pepper. Mm-hmm. Delicious. However, lemon juice over there, you know. I, I I do a little squeeze of lime actually for a little bit okay. of that guacamole feel, but it's still a different thing. However, I am sad to report that at very nice uh, fruit and vegetables shop on my street, there were no good avocados yesterday. And I thought so, you were going to say they're closed. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Oh no 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 no. That was a, that was a real nail biter like for a second. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe they should uh, get the team from whatever police procedural. We're probably going to say it in the description, but I'd like to pretend we haven't said what police procedural we're watching. Um, and uh, uh, so it was. It was. It wasn't shut, but there were no good avocados. So I, I had to sort of think quickly. And I, my girlfriend often likes to purchase bananas and peanut butter to have with her overnight oats. So I made myself some peanut butter and banana on toast, which while we were having a little catch up before the show. Andrew had to hear me sucking down in the most unpleasant way possible. And I, so early, I plumb forgot that the orange mug was so good, so I'm having the yellow mug today. It's the yellow mug. Put that in your spreadsheet, folks. You know what? It's now uh, an auspicious mug because, you know, the, it, it, is co- it coincides with the Boney Island whitefish sailing again. Well, um, I, I feel bad that I was having trouble uh, finding the details of the wonderful listener who I, I think possibly towards the end or at the end of the first season of Pony Island Whitefish, I was contacted by a listener who said, I very much enjoyed the show and uh, really dug it and everything. And I would like to send you the gift of an orange La Cruzette mug. Uh, and, they, and they had one shipped to me. I said, I'm going to take your word for it that you are not obtaining my address to come to my house and slit my throat. And they were good to their word. Um, but because it was like a, a Twitter DM from, I assume, nine years ago, 
uh, I was having some trouble locating it, but you know who you are, wonderful person, who sent me a mug so that, uh, so that Riley and I, across the oceans, you know, different time zones, we can be clinking our identical mugs and drinking out of them. However, I fucked up and also didn't drink out of my good La Cruzette mug this morning. <laughs> Look, that's why um, these, se- these that's why these seasons have like twenty three episodes in them. It's we can co- we'll we'll figure it out. We've got time to get it together. I did make myself a breakfast this morning. Um, I've been routinely forgetting to eat breakfast lately, which is ooh, I don't ooh, know. Ooh, 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 ooh. that's why you need this show. You know, yeah, exactly. It's gonna, it's, it's gonna get me back back in the habit. Um, so this morning I uh, I had a fried egg because I had just fried an egg for one of my children. Um, the other one had peanut butter and honey on toast, and I would recommend a little drizzle of honey on your peanut butter and bananas on toast. Mm. Great combo: peanut I, butter, honey, and banana sandwich. Wonderful. I think that could really take a kind of backup breakfast and um, give it the zing that it needs in order to propel me through the day. Because I'll tell you, it's a little. It was a little bit heavy. It didn't have enough top notes. Well, um, so I, I had myself a single fried egg because I wasn't super hungry. But what I have taken to doing lately is um, uh, people who know me know that I, I enjoy to cook. And uh, a little while ago, we had a bunch of people over for dinner and I made uh, tacos al pastor from a recipe for a, a, a chef that I really like on YouTube, Chef Tom Jackson from All Things Barbecue. And following his recipe and uh he's always using uh these cattleman's grill seasonings and i was like you know what i'm making this thing again i'm gonna order that shit and i'm gonna use it uh so i did order it and it arrived and i used it in the dinner the dinner was a great success we were all very happy about it Mm -hmm. uh but what i've taken to doing is using this cattleman's grill eight second ride carne asada seasoning And uh, when I fry an egg, I shake a bunch of this over the egg and into the pan. And then, like, and then I like fry my egg over easy, you know? Um, and I got to tell you, when those spices uh, hit, the, hit the pan and the bit of oil that's in there, wakes up all the spices, you know, you get a, a wonderful aroma happening. Uh, and then you just sort of flip the egg over, give the spices on top a little bit of a seal, and then um, off onto a piece of buttered toast. Uh, very generic um, white supermarket square toast, because that was what was in the house. Really need to do some grocery shopping. <laughs> and, uh, and then a drizzle of sriracha mayo over the top. A little squiggly line of sriracha mayo. Okay. Very, very I mean, pretty epic, right? You know, that's Fold the new that bad boy in half. Yeah. Str- straight into your guts. And uh, and a and a large coffee, and a large coffee in my um, like heavy heavy ceramic. You know the the like North American diner style mug. Yeah, yeah, um, the ones that could the, be a, a murder weapon in a police procedural. Yeah, yeah, like the the heavy. Um, we when we lived in Melbourne, there was a a cafe down the street from us called True North, and they they did a kind of pseudo American diner type deal. And um, so they would have like a pie of the day, you know, and like filter coffee in a big pot. Um, but they would also do lots of sort of uh, Tex-Mex kind of things like huevos rancheros for breakfast and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Um, and in the interest of supporting a local business, I bought one of their, their branded Big Heavy mugs. 
And that was what I drank my coffee from this morning. Now, I have just one clarifying question and then a comment. Um, clarifying question is, one of the things that I like about the UK, one of the reasons I moved here in uh, a very sort of, I would say something that has now cost me a great deal of um, my own wellness and sanity, having drawn me into this vortex, um, is the fact that the eggs here are very good. Uh, they'll tend to be quite uh, sort of a deep yellow to almost orange in color. Frequently, many of mm -hmm. them are orange in color. Um, and they're very, very creamy. Like, it, it's a, I cannot emphasize to you enough how good of an egg it is here. Um, do we have, is it a pale yellow uh, with a fluffy uh, result uh, in, in, in Australia? Or are we talking an orange and creamy? Well, uh, I have I have delicious orange eggs because I go out to my yard and I oh, fetch right. them from my chickens. Yes, of course. So you you actually do have the good eggs. Um, um, we we may I'm, I'm not sure if we've had uh, one or more chicken casualties since the last time we were doing breakfast updates. But uh, now we are we're down to two chickens, pickle and penguin, mm -hmm. um, who who we got from somebody who uh, they're like rescue chickens basically like x layer chickens mm -hmm. and uh yeah those two those two make a real business out of it you know <laughs> they're real real steady with it um recently i went to have dinner with some friends and so so we've just bought a new like uh sort of mobile chicken coop mm -hmm. for uh, like a chicken tractor kind of thing i don't know if you've seen these before um where so it's like a big, a big sort of insulated plastic thing that they can climb up into, and then a, a cage that sort of comes off this thing, and there's wheels underneath it, and you can push these levers down, which then push the wheels down and lock in, so that it lifts the back end of the cage off the ground, and mm -hmm. then you can tip the whole thing back so the front end of the cage is off the ground, and just wheel it to a different spot. Mm -hmm. So we have the chooks up in our sort of big veggie patch and we just kind of wheel them around from section to section and they eat all of the weeds and poop on the on the dirt, all that kind of thing. Um so when we bought this new this new coop, mm -hmm. they uh also give you in the packaging like a whole bunch of um of of egg cartons, like four egg mini egg cartons with a label on the top of the brand of the of the coop. Um, and it says, uh, these eggs laid by and a little blank spot for you to fill in the names of your chickens. That's like one of those, uh, those things where you can, um, you know, have your kids fill in the story. Uh, and then it's a story about your kids. Um, yep. we've got but, some of them, yeah. but with your chickens so they can feel like they're a part of the family. Yeah. So I went to see some friends recently and we had, we had quite a surplus of eggs. So I took them around. Uh, eight eggs in those things, and um, and when we got there, <laughs> when we got there, my friend Clem said, "Oh, awesome! I was just about to give you back the the one that you gave us last time and request some more eggs." And then throughout the week, we were getting photos um, from our friends going, "I just can't believe how beautiful and yellow these eggs are!" And like photos of them frying them in their pans for breakfast. And all that kind of thing. So it was very, very wholesome uh, sharing feeling uh, to be able to do that. But to answer your broader question, um, I think that uh, a lot of like good, good, more expensive free range eggs mm -hmm. will generally be larger and more yellow. Uh, we don't buy battery eggs 
Um, you know, we don't buy cage eggs. Yeah, same, uh, same. Which I think is a reasonable thing to do. Um, but even then, yeah, I, f- I think there's still a difference between the free-range eggs and our eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, nothing, you... nothing beats an egg where you can look out the window and say, thank you, uh, pickle and penguin, for this uh, delicious... Uh, for this delicious ovum, uh, which delicious. I'm about to consume with uh, eight-second ride spice mix. That's right. You got to feed him the spice mix. That's what you got to do, because then the eggs will come out. I don't know if you know this, but you can feed chickens like the color of the of the yolk will depend on the color of their feed. So if you like pulp up red peppers, uh, then you can give your chickens a red yolk egg. Well, I, I remember seeing this uh, years ago on an episode of. Uh, chef's Table on this Netflix. This is also where I learned <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Although the other thing I learned recently when talking to my six-year-old is that um, is that honey is yellow because the pollen that bees get from plants is yellow. And uh, and that like uh, 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 that she was talking about this thing where they had like refined the, the, the blue the like dyed blue sugar that they used to make the candy coating of blue M&M's mm-hmm. and had given that to bees and they make blue honey as a result. Um, Interesting. I mean... I, however, I the way that she was telling the story uh-huh. made me say, you are wrong. You're... <laughs> shut up. Shut up. That can't... Because she, she was like... She was like, did you know that, that uh, blue honey... Uh, like bees, bees get blue honey from blue M and M's, and I was just like, "What the fuck are you talking about? You sound insane right you now." You sound like a child. <laughs> and so, after a bit of research, it was from like a you know a sort of science facts YouTube thing that she had been watching. It'd be and very I, funny if she like you know those like um uh, uh, tar- targeted ads that are just like. Uh, one a day can keep anxiety away. And it's like a woman holding a gummy bear or whatever. It's like <laughs> the, inse- the almost like Dadaist um, sort of AI generated targeted ads that you get. Um, I, I would, I, I feel like almost it's something that's, that sounds like something you could get from there. Like you won't believe this blue honey. One mother had a heart attack when she found out. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't help the feeling though that if you do generate the honey by giving bees, uh, like, refined, dyed blue sugar that was intended for use in M&Ms, that it's not going to magically acquire, like, any any fantastic health benefits that wouldn't have come from, say, plant-based honey. Or that wouldn't have come from M&Ms. Exactly. Why why bother, you know, why bother uh, diluting it when you can go straight to the source? Also, hey, check this out. Um... The blue. You might be wondering, what's the personality type of the blue M and M? INTJ or? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I I looked on M and M's dot fandom dot because you know the green M M&M and M is sexy and the brown M and M is sort yep. of also sexy and then there's the yellow and the red M and M who are sort of a laurel and hardy sexy. duo. <laughs> They're pretty <laughs> sexy with it. Um, blue was one of the six main characters from the M&M's. This is from M&M's.fandom.com. Uh, his date was back to 1995 when blue was elected new M&M's color. Quotes. Quote number one. Get back in the bag. Qu- quote yeah. number two. Yeah, man. <laughs> quote <laughs> number who, three. Who could forget? What? Who could forget? <laughs> What's up? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Quote number four. Oh, yeah. Now, I, look, honestly, I've never identified with a corporate mascot more. I'm saying all these things all the time. Um, this guy might as well be me, you know? Absolutely. Now, I, I have a feeling like some of the quotes on the Blue M&M's fandom page might not have been said by the Blue M&M, such as, I be Crippin. <laughs> now, we're, we're still... Blue, Blue M&M is necessarily a crip. Is there a little, is there a little citations needed uh, link above it? Or... Andrew, Superscript. We're not you. sure about this one. I don't want to alarm you. There is no citation at all. However, people have posted the pictures of the blue M&M, including a picture of the blue M&M as M&M that they got a tattoo of, uh, a knockoff enamel pin of the blue M&M playing saxophone for an appreciative green M&M, um, and uh, let's see... Uh, also, also, other quotes uh, from the Blue M&M uh, is, I'm done being and M&M's spokes candy. I've got a new gig now. and it's a, Oh, it was voiced by Seth MacFarlane, and it played the saxophone. Uh, right. I've learned so much about culture <laughs> today. Um, also, hey, um, speaking of the Blue... Oh, the, the comment that I had was very briefly, uh, it would be very funny to... Um, go to an, a very authentic American diner, but everyone's got an Australian accent. That, to me, would be very amusing. Like, oh, a, yeah. a, as though, you know, um, like, it, like a, a deleted scene from The Road Warrior, you know, uh, or it's supposed to, it's ambiguous as to where it is. Um, yes. <laughs> no way to know for sure. So one thing I want to do, right, as well, is I want to be fair to our program because mm -hmm. we've been 20 minutes of, twenty, almost 22 minutes of catching up, of talking about what we had for breakfast, of, of thinking about chickens, and uh, catching up with the, the, our favorite promotional spokes candy, the blue M&M. Um, so I don't think we should set the timer. We should reset the timer now. Oh, okay. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I'm, I'm doing it. <coughs> uh, 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 how about now? Okay, good. So what people might be wondering, because let's actually not say it in the description, what show are we talking about? We, I have been instructed by you that we will be watching season five of the psychological crime procedural thriller television show, Criminal Minds. That's right. It is <laughs> the, show, the show that launched the Thousand Ships. It is Criminal Minds. Uh, we may not be changing the name, but consider us now the Boney Island Mindfish. Uh, oh. As we swim the waters of the human psyche um, and, and learn a little bit more about the science of uh, saying, hmm, uh, this guy is threatening to kill a doctor. Well, he must have been one of your patients. Uh, and the people he's, he's trying to kill. Well, the ethnicity must somehow be related. And then um, just sort of going from there. It's, it's very funny. I have to say, I, um, so, so, you know, for, for listeners of the previous season of the show, uh, something that, that would delight me to no end was any of the moments where um, they sort of have to move the plot along in terms of like 
you know, solving the crime that the whole show is about. And it basically led to one of the characters, such as Bones, um, launching into what we affectionate, affectionately termed wild speculation, uh, where she would just sort of go, oh, but a bone, and then maybe something bounced off here, and, you know, all stuff where you would be thinking to yourself, and, and you're going to take this to court? <laughs> you're going to put this in front of, like, a jury, you know? And I'm delighted to say that it looks like there will be no shortage of exactly the same kind of extremely loosey-goosey crime-solving uh, <laughs> on this program. Uh, very much a jazz sort of approach to crime-solving. <laughs> I, um, I loved the, um, the synopsis of this on Google. If you Google Criminal Minds Season 5, um, in, the, in the right sidebar, there is the, <laughs> the little synopsis. An elite group of profilers analyze the nation's most dangerous criminal minds to anticipate their next moves before they strike again. <laughs> Just out there trying to uh, trying to do some precog shit, mm -hmm. you know, uh, precog stuff. But again, uh, sort of from from the point of loose word association. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, it's the evidence they don't have, you know. Absolutely. So, so. So, like, this, this episode um, really kind of kicks off with a bang, especially considering it's, the, as far as I know, the very first episode of the show. Yeah. To me, it is and always will be the first episode of the show, you know? So we are starting off with uh, Season 5, Episode 1, Nameless, comma, Faceless. Mm -hmm. And um, very helpfully to me... We have started off with a sequence that says, previously on Criminal Minds. <laughs> I mean, you know, previously in the writer's uh, imaginations on That's Criminal right. Minds, before they started working on the show for the first time ever. Um, in the coma one of the characters is in, you know? Yeah. I mean, I find that we, um, this is a funny, a funny episode to start with, uh, for not just our series, but for the series itself, because um, it's sort of half one, half one, um, uh, the main plot, which I think we can sort of spoil right now, I would say kind of just wraps itself up. Um, and it wraps itself up kind of two-thirds of the way into the show. Uh, and then... Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it was odd. Uh, and then a kind of um, series uh, or season-level overarching peril mm. um, uh, of, uh, of, of a kind of... of a, a criminal called the Boston Reaper. And I would say a, a great deal of the humor for, for this episode for me comes from getting to know uh, John Foyette, the Boston Reaper, uh, the, the man who, um, the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the scourge of cop town, uh, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the guy who's the, the, the least racist killer in Boston, uh, the, the John Foyette. Um, and his, like, okay, you know how in one of the reasons that, um, like, a movie like Silence of the Lambs or Red, or really any of the um, Anthony Hopkins uh, Hannibal uh, movies, any of that series. Um, yeah. I mean, is Anthony Hopkins in Red Dragon? I don't think he was. 
I, I can't remember. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, um, it's him all the I mean, way. No, it's it's him who's not in. Uh, it's Brian Cox in um, Manhunter. Manhunter. Yeah, yeah. There we go. So one of the and then that it's makes... and then it's some kid in the universally panned prequel, <laughs> um, Hannibal Rising, which friend of the show Brandy Jensen just remarked the other day. Uh, the funniest origin story that they should have given that they could have given to Hannibal is that Nazis eat his little sister in front of him, turning him into a cannibal. <laughs> Well, yeah, because you can't have an effective character who's also evil. You know, he has to have been made that way. Um, it would help if there, if somebody like when when a character is kind of um, you know mysterious, it would help if somebody explained away the mystery for me. That really, yeah, like for really example, helps. if they ever do make um, a season before season five, I'd love it if we could maybe have the Boston Reaper. You know, maybe mm. his um, as a young child. Uh, he went to Serbia for a um, like a, 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 a scything competition because I don't know if you know this. A scything mm. is a very popular like sport in Serbia, like scything long grass. I did not know um, that. Yeah, they do it competitively and they race and stuff. And that's uh, you know, one of those activities where when you see people doing it well, it's just it's it's crazy. Have you ever seen? Um, or I don't know if they if they have this in other countries. I assume that they do. Um, like like tree chopping races um i i feel like that would be something in canada but i haven't seen it to be honest yeah you would think that like uh both canada and parts of america would have particularly like lumberjacky kind of uh kind of uh histories about the town but they have a thing that they do at like country fairs and stuff in australia and it's and it's a, a competitive thing where they get guys to all stand uh stand on top of a section of like a tree trunk so a, a quite large and thick section of a tree trunk and they just have a regular old you know two-handed wood axe and they they say go and start a timer and these dudes just start blasting away and the object of course is to cleave all the way through this sort of you know one to two foot thick tree trunk um that's that's also underneath like your feet you know they're swinging at full pelt towards their own feet <laughs> that seems, seems so dangerous it seems but, like just a recipe for getting your dick and balls axed off but the technique is flawless you know it's uh it's guys bringing bringing these axes down in these incredibly accurate arcs and when you watch them they're sort of constantly chopping back and forth in like a v shape you know, so they come in from one side first and then they come around the other side and chop in and down to, to where they just chopped. So it's just this constant process of like big uh, American Diner style coffee mug sized chunks of wood flying out of this thing as they go. You know, it's very it's very remarkable to see and the speed with which some of these dudes do it. Mind blowing. The official Boney Island Whitefish endorsement. Um, go check that out. So... Oh, I was going to say, sorry, the, the, the imagining yes. that the Boston Reaper went to a Serbian grass scything competition with his family and his children got, his, his brothers and sisters got reaped in front of him. And then he was like, ooh, now I shall reap. The world is so unfair. That's my motivation, he said out loud. <laughs> I, I will not rest until I, I, I too, um, I have become like this Serbian scything man. Uh, and I, I shall scythe the residents of, and he rolls the dice, Boston. So 
we are basically. Ooh, I hate Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> he rolls. He rolls the big dice with what one of, of the world's countries on each face. You know. Yeah, and then a number of one to six with the one to six city. And he rolled America, and he rolled the one, the first city of America, Boston. Um. So, so basically, we are informed that the Reaper, a pre-existing. Uh, serial killer played by the wonderful C. Thomas Howell, mm-hmm. um, who is a, a favorite actor of mine from uh, from like a lot of a lot of eighties stuff. He was in Red Dawn, the ultimate mm-hmm. uh, uh, Cold War movie. Um, he was in uh, he was of course in the blackface classic Soul Man. <laughs> oh, great! Uh, I uh, are you not familiar with this movie? I'm not familiar with. I look like my. So you may remember from the last time we did this, <laughs> my pop culture knowledge is incredibly deep and specific. Yes. It does not include Soul Man. Well, yeah, Soul Man, Soul Man is a movie about a, uh, about a uh, like high school goof-off who fails to make it into any of the prestigious universities that he wanted to get into. And of course, affirmative action is out here giving places to black students. And so he says, I've got an idea. And he blacks up for the whole movie, hanging out with Ray Dawn Chong or whoever it is. Very wild stuff, wild stuff. Um, But yeah, he's also in the the, uh, Outsiders, the Francis Ford Coppola movies, in The Hitcher, which is a really great, um, really great... uh, 80s horror movie where he's just a guy who picks up um, hitchhiker Rutger Hauer, who turns out to be as psycho as the Reaper. So, um, so the Reaper has escaped from federal custody. It seems by uh, by biting a hole in himself and drinking enough of his own blood to make himself vomit blood. And then get himself, you know, transferred to a hospital and so on and so forth. Like you can you, again, you got to imagine the writer's room being like, all right, how's the craziest man in the world going to escape, gonna escape right. from federal custody? How's he going to do it? You know, he's very much like the Joker, this guy. Yeah. So, um, so he's going to be out there as a lingering threat for one of our lead profilers, um, who is, of course, Greg from Dharma and Greg. Yeah, look, he's, he's he's Dharma is no longer he's he's no longer with Dharma. Uh, he's decided her. I, I assume that he was the straight laced one and she was the free spirit. Uh, he's decided uh, she was too much. Uh, he, he and he's he was driven mad. He was driven mad, in fact, by her free spiritedness, um, and is now uh, a, become an obsessive about the human mind and what could lead someone to be so annoying when he was just trying to do his paperwork. Um, and now he is, he's become an FBI profiler uh, and changed his name to Aaron Hotchner so that Dharma won't find him. Uh, and that's the other um, uh, um, lingering threat throughout the series uh, is that Dharma might find him and then, I don't know, like stand on a table or you know, do something else wacky. He just bursts into tears. Dharma, you're so crazy. Can't take it anymore. <laughs> why? 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 You? Uh, the only thing I fear more than being um, than a, a reaping from the Boston Reaper uh, is um, you know, Dharma deciding uh, to celebrate April Fool's Day uh, on the first of every month. So, in this episode, as you alluded to, we have two plots happening. Right? We've we have the 
the <laughs> like any good episode of TV, one after the other. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Well, they start off one plot, and then it goes for about 60 seconds, and then we have the entirety of the other plot, uh, occasionally punctuated by characters turning to each other and saying, where's Hodge? Mm. Where have is you anyway? seen Hodge? <laughs> ba- ba- I haven't <laughs> seen Hodge. I assume he'll turn up. <laughs> anyway, I thought you office. were Hodge. <laughs> Um, I have this copy there's, there's... of the movie Hitch on Blu-ray. Hitch. There's so Blu-ray. many, so many good lines of dialogue in this. Like somebody saying, "Hey, have you heard from Hodge?" And the other character says, "I, I called him, but his phone rang out. I assume it's set to vibrate." Mm-hmm. Just really, just... really, just sort of draining the line there. Of nope, he's probably. We think he's fine. He probably just can't hear his phone. So, um, so basically, the 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 I guess the A plot for this mm. would you call it the A plot? I mean, the, it, I think I'd, I'd call it plot one because it is quite sequential. It's not so much A and B because B kind of usually implies a thing that's just sort of happening around the A plot, you know. Whereas mm. in this case, I think we have plot one of two and plot two of two. <laughs> they both just happen. <laughs> Yeah. Seemingly exactly. independent of each other. And there's uh, uh, no C-plot. So, what's going on in this first plot with... Um, how how does this, this doctor... There is an ER surgeon who comes to be involved in, uh, in some serial killings. What's going on here? I mean, you know, he's... Uh, like, like, I feel like all of... I'm pretty sure that when we talked about Bones... There was another, there was an episode where it was like, ooh, someone's trying to get back at a doctor for not saving them. That see, I seem mm. to remember that. And that in turn is what we wind up with here. Mm-hmm. We have somebody who is attempting to kill uh, this doctor or someone near to him in order to get back at him. But unfortunately, that's also a complete assumption that we've made. <laughs> but we will be sticking with it. Don't worry. Be sticking with it pretty much the whole way through. There's only so many hours in a day. Only so many theories a profiler can come up with. Mm-hmm. You know. Look, come on. What do we? What do we have? Like more than 10, 15 minutes? No, 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 no. Wait, look. This is the criminal minds writers' room, uh, and it reflects the uh, behavior of the behavioral analysis unit, the the, the wild assumptions division. Uh, that we will be look. If there's a guy targeting a, a surgeon, look, if he was targeting someone for a bad haircut, he'd target a barber. He's targeting a surgeon, so it must be about the surgery. Because everyone be just wakes up, they have breakfast update, they go to work, and then they come home from work, and then they sit in their house until they go to work the next day. Yes. Everybody simply arrives home, lies down, ready for the next breakfast update. Yeah. Uh, no one, uh, for example, has like I don't know a gambling problem or whatever, because uh, unless they're a gambler, a problem gambler, right? And that's what they do after breakfast update is they 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 wake up, they go to their mob run casino, borrow money, lose it all day, and then go back and just sit see down. See you in tomorrow, fellas. Stare at the wall, <laughs> like punching the clock on the way out. You know, yeah. uh, see you another first thing day in the of being Davy Scatino from The Sopranos. Well, I'm off to go get murdered eventually. 
Um, yeah, like, so what's what's going on here? They're finding uh, they're finding the dead bodies of Latino men and messages to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Is that what's happening? Yeah, yeah. So there's messages, uh, and the messages are also very clear. They are saying. Um, until you allow your son to be murdered by me, I will continue to murder. Uh, I will continue to uh, murder uh, a Latino man a day, basically. Yes. Uh, and then so, so LC. Yes, the trauma surgeon by the name of Doctor Barton. This is from a plot synopsis on uh, IMDb, written by Huggo. Shout out to Huggo. Uh, is Huggo Australian? They sound Australian. I don't know. Maybe it's someone called Hugo who doesn't know how to spell his own name. You know? yeah, uh, a trauma surgeon by the name of Dr. Barton received a note from someone signing it LC stating that his 15-year-old son Jeffrey will be killed. If LC is not allowed to carry out his mission, he will instead kill one other person every day until the son Jeffrey is dead. So let me kill your son or I will kill one person a day. And he's killed a couple of people at this point. In the course of leaving the notes. Come on, let me kill your son. Come on. Come on. (laughs) Come on, You can always make another one. Stop being so stupid. Let me kill your son. You're so selfish. Why do you hate me? (laughs) I wish I was never born. (laughs) Let me kill your son. Come on, let me kill your son. Uh... So the the crew s- just leaps into action here, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, "Oh, we got these notes. They're about this doctor. We gotta get to him, stat." And they rush over to his house and they go, "Hey, you know anyone called LC? Is there any reason that you don't want your son to be killed? Is there <laughs> is there any reason you're being so difficult about this, sir?" <laughs> Uh, it would really save the BAU a lot of time if he could just kill your son, because then he would stop killing these Latino men. Sir, sir, we're not here to take sides. We're here to resolve the issue, okay? Look, all we need... Look, look, we're mostly here to minimize the amount of murders, and due to budget cuts, we've now decided an acceptable number of murders to close a case. That's right. Hey, I got an idea, sir. Why don't you uh, take out a sheet of paper and make a pros and cons list of letting this man, uh, LC, murder your son? What do you yeah. think? Um, I'll set hey, a timer you know for five minutes. You get down as many as you can. Hey, you don't even look like you're trying to come up with any pros. Come on. <laughs> look, you got to work with us or we're not going to work with you, all right? So, help, so help I'm starting to feel you. like you're not taking this seriously. <laughs> uh, I feel as though... Um, uh, look, but hey, here's some pros. Um... You don't seem to have a, a, a wife or girlfriend, you know. You could probably more easily go out in the town with no son being like, oh, I want dinner. I want to, you need to be here uh, with me or you'll get arrested for neglect. That kind of thing. No son. You could have a lot more, you could get a much better dating life. You could explore mm-hmm. a new hobby. All, all that, you know, money you're paying towards your son. You could get a sweet car, huh? Hey, I'm starting to see the pros pile up in the let, let LC kill your son column. So why don't we write those down, and then, you know, maybe we can think of a couple of cons, if you can think of some, uh, and, you know, go from there. So where's that son of yours, huh? Well, 
In a shocking twist, proving that he didn't really want to be alive anyway, the son has overheard this and snuck out of his bedroom window to go to school anyway. Mm. You know how 15-year-olds want to go to school so badly they don't care if they're risking death to do it? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, when... I, I always heard about my grandfather going up to school in his father's pajamas in the driving snow, sort of uphill both ways, and I think that's persisted with uh, what you might call the iPad generation. Absolutely. So um, the son, the son has taken his ass to school. Oh, so before, before causing we, uh, <laughs> before we carry on, I just want to say I I, could, I took on down this quote where Doctor Barton says I can't think of anyone who'd want to kill my son. Uh, and um, Spencer, who's, pl- uh, who's played by um, model Matthew Gray Goobler, uh, who's the nerd, but he's mm-hmm. a little bit of the, um, what's his he's name? Who's the nerd. guy who was in Avatar? Justin thingy. Justin, Justin guy. You know the Justin. Like the, the tall skinny guy? The yeah, from, uh, from Bones. The, the one who's the nerd. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah him. Yeah. That one. Yeah. The one who's also in Avatar, who promoted the movie avatar in the show bones yeah um, well he's also a bit like the uh like the male version of the sexy goth girl from uh csi yeah know? so we have they've se- all got to have, have a sexy one in the crew we have well yeah so we have but so the nerd character is played by a a, a very beautiful man named matthew gray Goobler, um who i think is there to be like like non-threateningly hot like like how my mom had a crush on Ben Wishaw after she saw him in the new, as Q in the new James Bond movie, you know? Really? Yeah. Oh, um, I'd love to read a book with him. <laughs> sort of. Yeah, he's so non-threatening, but also very clearly beautiful. Um, and so he says, whoever wrote that note to Barton uh, thinks this was personal, and they're putting you on notice. And then the musical sting came right in on putting you on notice. Um, <laughs> Which is great. They're calling you in, actually. So, um, so basically, the the team says, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna split up and solve this crime. Uh, first, we will send um, like unsettlingly handsome, uh, unsettlingly handsome actor down to the school to watch you, uh, Derek Morgan, played by Shamar Moore. Um, and he's like he's good looking in." The way that, like, uh, you know, when somebody's like very, very conventionally attractive, mm-hmm. but too conventionally attractive, yeah, it almost doesn't look real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he looks like he it just looks like you know what a what a Calvin Klein model would have looked like in like nineteen ninety three, um, but also if you had face tuned him a bunch. Um, put some TikTok filters on him, that kind of stuff. That's just what he looks like walking around, you know. Uh, he was also in the sequel to Sonic the Hedgehog, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, um, as somebody's, like, unreasonably attractive fiancé. That was their their character. Well, you do, do you know that um, Shamar Moore has uh, a side business, uh, a clothing brand, um, and the clothing brand is called Baby Girl... <laughs> um, and it sells, um, it sells like cl- it sells phone cases that have a topless Shamar Moore on them, and then it sells then just like stuff for women from the early two thousands. Uh, if there are st- if there are like you know, women who are culturally from the early two thousands, 
like like sort of loose tank tops that say silly and sexy on them or like sweatpants <laughs> with baby girl written on the ass uh, and it's yeah, very. And there, there's also a lot of Shamar Moore themed stuff, like a Shamar Moore calendar, Shamar Moore phone case, and then you know, like uh, yeah, yoga pants with baby girl written on the ass, and that's Shamar Moore's business. Um, and it's uh, it's it's as thank you for helping us keep the fight for the cure of MS alive. Question exclamation mark three times. Part of the proceeds from Baby Girl are donated to the National MS Society. Stay silly and sexy. <laughs> that's so considerate <laughs> and, and, yes. and the front page of, of baby so it's um the site is babygirlbysfm.com so <laughs> that's so not babygirlbysfm.com that's so unclear what what that is from the who website who made this Shamar Moore um, it says, it says the, the, the front image is like two women wearing baby girl nighties, sort of brandishing velvet, like satin pillow pillows at one another. They're just having a, uh, so, so he goes down to the school Ooh, I lost you? and, uh, finds this kid and he says, I'm a federal agent. Someone's trying to kill you and your dad, maybe. But hey, relax. Relax. That's I've pretty much you the vibe. A more phone case. If you get out of my sight, somebody might immediately kill you. But everything's fine, okay? That's that's pretty much mm-hmm. what he's given him here, right? But just go to go to class like everything's fine, okay? Mm-hmm. Just go to class like everything's fine. Don't worry. There's just gonna be. We're gonna. You're. It's just going to be spooky montages. You're not going to have to learn anything. They won't be on the test. You're fine. Um, so that's that's basically 50% of the solving the case that we're going for here is stand around the halls of the school, uh, kind of seeming like a bit of a weirdo, and just sort of wait to see if the killer turns up. Yeah, it's um, the, it's it's a funny prelude to sort of the cops in schools thing that really sort of took off in the sort of mid two thousands and only accelerated from there, which is like, yep, yeah, cops in schools means a kind of team of ethereally beautiful FBI professionals, all of whom are there to guard one specific kid from one specific spree killer. I know that this is um I know that this is of course a work of ridiculous fiction. And it is, of course, from, you know, the mid-2000s. But uh, it is very, very sadly funny to think of the concept of, like, a team of law enforcement officers being deployed just to, like, protect one person. You know? Um, there, And, of course, the other, the other uh, dark irony of this episode is that when this kid goes to school, all the cops are like, that's the safest place he could be. No one ever gets shot at a school. <laughs> I mean, I suppose if this were to be um, more of a darkly cynical show, uh, he might end up killed in an unrelated school shooting. <laughs> um, but it, it does, in fairness, also seem to be an extremely 
uh, fancy people's school because mm-hmm. his dad is, you know, his dad's a, a famous ER surgeon or at least a rich one. So, so you know, at this point it's like, hey, we got to get it together and solve this crime. And what better way to do that than by saying to this doctor, hey, can you get out absolutely all of your case files and remember every person you've ever operated on the ER? Yeah. And he says, like a not, not really. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, uh, he's like, I operate on like, you know, a bunch of people every day and it's all happening really quickly. And they're like, yeah, but just try and remember, did any of them say they wanted to kill you? <laughs> or your son. Hey, but yeah. hey, you know what? This is going to be pretty hard. That's another pro in the kill the sun column. <laughs> this is going to be really hard and take like a few hours and I have to pee. Let me just ask you a question, sir. Is this how you saw yourself spending your day? <laughs> Wouldn't you rather be doing anything else, really? Could have got a game of tennis in. It's a beautiful day out there, you know? Uh, sorry, sorry, son. I decided to just go for a walk without meaning to go anywhere and uh, try to practice some mindfulness by the lake before trying out a new bakery. Little bit of me Really time. living, you know? So, so what I, what I, <laughs> what I really... At his son's funeral to be like, and I just decided I was going to enjoy the city. Like, I've lived here for so long and I've never bought, gone to the museum. So, um, this got into what I think is my favorite aspect of the show, uh, for, for the first episode, right? Um, and, and for me, it bodes very well, the idea that they're going to continue doing what they then did at this point, which is that they said, hey, it's time to do some profiling. It's time to look at some pieces of writing and just make broad proclamations about the kind of person who would write that. Uh, for example, I am going to kill your son. Okay, well, that's a guy. Yep, yep. So they start off, uh, they start off by saying... Um, they're doing their profiling and they they say, well, let's look at the letters to begin with because then we'll get some ideas about what sort of person it is. And they say, yeah, I'm going to kill your son. And they go, see, uh, he's a man because women use adjectives mm-hmm. and descriptions. Yeah. And he I'm hasn't going used to kill your that. awful son. Ooh, definitely a woman. Um, I'm going to free up a lot of your time and probably a lot of your bank account by re- just by uh, relieving you of that annoying son. Well, they also said it had to be a man because he is very direct in what he's saying. And I guess that's mm-hmm. fair. A woman would, uh, would write to ask permission to kill your son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to, hey, uh, I don't want to bother anybody. Uh, don't want to put anyone out. Do you think, would you be open to the possibility of letting me kill your son with a knife? Uh, you know, just just get back to me whenever it's convenient for you. No rush. I'm sorry to take the time out of your day. Mm-hmm. Uh, no and worries of course, if not, but can I kill your son? Yes. <laughs> and of course, uh, they say, mm, and this person's like, um, you know, they've they've put a lot of time into this and effort and everything, blah, blah, blah. So that means that the killer is either very independently wealthy or unemployed. Mm-hmm. One Which of the to two. me, one of the two kinds of people. 
but also the things where I was like, is that narrowing it down a lot? And also, yeah. how the fuck do you get that from any, you know, this, I was, I was standing up and pacing around the room at this point, um, because this is, this is absolute catnip to me. Um, mm-hmm. people reading a letter and saying, ah, this man was beaten as a child, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, wonderful stuff um i i was saying to my wife uh as we were watching this i was like i love this shit so much because it's like so so much more tenuous and vague than like physical evidence and most physical evidence is bullshit like Mm -hmm. it you know how how many how many of the forensic sciences uh, just get debunked 20 years after they were introduced you know how many how many times have uh, have the criminal justice communities of the world said, uh, it turns out um, ha- matching hairs that wasn't really a thing." Sorry, mm. oops, <laughs> that's on Oopsie. us. That's on us. <laughs> hey, we're going to go with fingernails next. We're pretty confident about fingernails. Poe buddy's perfect. You know, <laughs> or, or in this case, we're pretty confident about. Um, uh, sort of making some assumptions. Um, so what, what we right? So we get that they're analyzing the note, and then they're looking at the cases, which is montages of Barton uh, doing the classic move where he comes out of the hospital doors and takes off his hat to say, "Oopsie, sorry, I couldn't save your son, daughter, niece, father, etc., etc." From their um, car crash, slip and fall, uh, knife attack. Or mm-hmm. um, a meteor uh, impact. No, I couldn't, couldn't save them. Uh, they're, they're now dead. My hats are off to you. Uh, what are you well, going to do with all your new spare time? <laughs> the, uh, you could get in a game of tennis. Um, I, I really liked, as they sat down, right? So, um, handsome Matthew, Matthew Gray Gubler um, and the surgeon and one of the other criminally minded investigators I believe it was down. Paget Brewster Paget Brewster Paget Brewster who uh, actually was on the excellent show Huff uh, which also starred uh, the late Anton Yelchin in the son role R.I.P. and uh, of course so they sit down to go through these big stacks of files and everything, right? And they're like, sir, please, we just, we need you to sit down and go through this stuff with us. We're going to find this guy, okay? We're going to find this guy, sir. And he's like, hey, hey, this is ridiculous. And he's talking to them and stuff. And they're like, sir, sir, please, we need you to sit down and look through these things with us. We're going to find this guy. Don't worry. And he says, it's only five hours till the end of the school day. Uh, there's no way we're going to get through hundreds of cases in time. And Paget Brewster stands up and says, he's right. We'll never get it done. <laughs> but you were just telling him that you were going to get it done. <laughs> well, no, he's, he, we'll, we'll never get it done. We need one more profiler. Yes, and this was the, the wonderful use of time that she has here where she's like, we're never going to get this done in time with the two of us. I'm off to look for Hodge for some unspecified amount of time, and in fact, she never returns. No, but then, of course, uh, uh, using a little her, bit... Uh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, stranding her with just the, the handsome nerd. Now, at this point, he's trying to get him narrowed down by saying, oh, you know, so, so he's leaving 
dead the dead bodies of Latino men as a surrogate for you. So we need to find cases where you operated on a Latino man. So I think the, uh, the idea is they, they sort of come to the conclusion, again, by just sort of looking at the letter and kind of thinking about the broad strokes of the case. That, getting okay, the vibes. What's happening is you clearly made a choice that led to someone else's son dying. And so they're trying to kill all the sons that you did choose to save. Uh, spoiler alert, this is exactly a perfect description of what is happening. Yes, and... Um... That was what I was really enjoying here, was that they go from definitely a man, uh, definitely rich or unemployed, uh, definitely someone who is mad at you, but also mad that you saved a Latino man's son instead of his. And now he's playing God with you to force you into a choice, uh, just like the choice that you made to not save his son. And they pretty much just kind of spitball that on the fly. And then they're like, cool, that's it. That'll do. You that's know? pretty... I mean, look, what are the chances that they'll be able to do that? I don't know. Let's say random number 23 times, though. <laughs> um, so at this point, folks, we got to call in the experts. We got to call in Kirsten Vangsness as Penelope Garcia, office clown. Um, she is, of course, the uh, required quirky character. Yeah, who also for... is um, uh, hacking as well. You know, yeah, who's, uh, she's who's doing like, hacking. hey, you know what? It's easier. It's going to be a lot easier just to uh, just, just don't, don't even bother giving us the files. Uh, Penelope will hack them. Um, now, they're getting her to ring around hospitals because they're worried about Hodge. They think something might have happened to Hodge, and they do literally show a montage for some span of time of her saying, uh-huh, an FBI agent named Hodge. Anybody come in like that? Okay, thank you. Hi, I'm calling about an FBI agent named Hodge. Mm -hmm. No? Uh, so, you know, they get her to, to do about uh, 10 or 15 takes of that, just so that we can really establish she's ringing around the hospitals, you know? Um, at this point, they have reached the stage in the episode where, um, much like the writer's room of bones, mm -hmm. they've looked around, uh, they've noticed that the sun is starting to go down, <laughs> and they've said, fuck, 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 we gotta wrap this up. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, we're back to, uh, Surgeon, who's sitting there with Matthew Gray Goobler, who says, alright, let's just, uh, solve this crime real quick. Look, we we just we we decided not to solve it for a while, but now that not solving it hasn't worked, we're going to try solving it because you seem so intent on not being open to the sun killing idea. Because you are being so unreasonable and so selfish. Fine, I'll solve the case. So um, so they'd already kind of you know narrowed it down to times that he had uh, operated on a Latino man. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, Sorry, the uh, this is this is great because this is as they're doing this, right? As they're narrowing it down, they're thinking about the wording of the note. And um, Spencer Matthew Gray Goobler says uh, the immortal line: "Quote: A lot of times, an unsub that is unidentified subject will unconsciously mirror the wording of situations." And I said, "I'm always doing that. 
I'm always mirroring the wording of situations, but very rarely am I doing it consciously. How does one mirror the wording of a situation? <laughs> well, very carefully. I don't know. So, um, so yeah, basically, at, at this point, he says, Wait a minute. What if you think about times that you operated on a Latino guy, but the Latino guy didn't die? Because that was what they'd kind of been looking for up to this point. And the doctor then says, Wait a minute. Now I remember. <laughs> and suddenly... These has, six. He suddenly has perfect recollection of the person um, the person who he operated on and who he saved, I believe. He saves this man. It's that and there, was, there were six that he operated on and then there had to be like another kid who died like roughly at the same time. Well, yes, yeah, so there's been a there's been a car accident, I believe, was the was yeah. the issue. It's been a car accident. He has operated and saved some of these people. He's talking to a family and saying, Hey, good stuff. And as he turns around to go back into the operating theater, a voice from off screen says, What about my son? Another guy doesn't want his son to die. Oh, selfish. Yeah, <laughs> Everyone's always crazy about their sons. No one's open to the idea of just letting them be killed. Uh, again, one of my favorite lines here, again, a very believable exchange with a guy, because, because basically, like, look, we, we, he came in, he was DOA, we couldn't save him. He's technically alive, but he's fully brain dead. And the guy's like, but you didn't even try to save him. And he's like, look, he was basically dead when we arrived. Come on, stop being so annoying about it. And then the guy, the, the guy who's angry, says, do you have children? And then the surgeon says, yes, a son. Why do you ask? <laughs> I, love, I love the way he says, yes, I have a son. I don't see what that has to do with anything. Yeah. Here's his schedule. Oh, I have a son. A He's the light of my life. I would yeah. never let somebody kill him. Ooh, I'd be so mad if he got killed. Oh. Ooh. Uh, hey, uh, one second. And there it is. That is, of uh, course, that, that chime. The now, that's a fair chime as well, you know. Yes, yes. Well, like you said, it's been deployed fairly. That is the sound to indicate that we have spent longer talking about the episode of a stupid TV show than the episode actually went for itself, which in this case was 43 minutes. Um, so, so this guy says, why you no save my son? Now, in fairness to the serial killer... I'm going to say. Um, I don't think... Someone clip Andrew saying that, please. <laughs> In fairness to the serial killer, uh, while, while obviously this man was very upset, I don't feel that the ER surgeon really put much effort into saying to him, for example, I think a thing he could have said would have been, there is no operation I can perform that will restore your son's brain function. I feel like that would have been a, a pretty useful thing to say at this juncture in the conversation. Uh, instead, he just keeps saying to the guy, look, you don't get it. You're no surgeon. He doesn't actually sort of say, I haven't attempted to... Like, he does sort of go, oh, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. Um, but he doesn't really put a lot of effort into it. And then he literally turns his back on the man... <laughs> Uh, the man who has just learned that his son has suffered brain death. And he's like, hey, what are you going to do? 
I have a recommendation, which is that we start doing like and one surgical videos, right? Where he tells his son, he tells him that his son suffered brain death and then sort of, you know, just like does some like street ball antics, you know, holding his head and sort of deking around him, really clowning on the guy at, at that very moment. Ideally. Yeah. Uh, so like they, they, there is a basketball. <laughs> put a basketball hoop in the bad newsroom so the surgeon can do like a 360 backwards dunk. <laughs> like your son is dead. Foosh. Um. So although the son's not dead, he's just brain dead. Uh, we find and was just taken off life support a couple days ago. Yes. Yes. Uh. But it was very funny to me that. This surgeon, uh, he just had to be asked the right series of questions. You know, like they just had to narrow the stats down enough for him to suddenly have perfect recall of the incredibly distraught man who had personally blamed him for not saving his son instead of saving a Latino guy. Uh, and then he's like, oh, yep, there it is. There it is. I got it. It's this guy. Um, and then... He says, all right, I got to get down to the school and save my son. We're meant to be doing a normal day's routine, and I normally pick my son up from school, so I'm going to go down there. And he walks out of the room, and Matthew Gray Goobler says, unless he was trying to trick you into thinking he was going to kill your son, but really he's going to kill you. So, but uh, wait, why? It's kind of. Why? Why? <laughs> why don't just kill him? <laughs> Well, I think I think we're we're stumbling onto something interesting here, which is I am maybe proposing that the characters of this show, unbeknownst to them, they think they're solving crimes, but they're actually having a lathe of destiny type experience where they imagine what a criminal might do and will it into existence. <laughs> because in this case, they had already gone far enough down that path to obtain the correct information and solve the case. But then he has another thought. He has another thought just before that, which is like, oh, but what if but what if he was trying to trick you and he was going to kill you instead? And then instantly, what should happen? But the doctor opens his front door, and there he is, the man. As you had said at the top of the show, Riley, this plot has very happily resolved itself by simply having the killer come over and stand on the front lawn. <laughs> We're saying, I am the killer. Prepare to be killed. Uh, um, causing, of course, sorry. Matthew Gray Goobler to run out and do a, uh, do a, you know, a in the line of fire, throw himself in front of the bullet kind of scenario. Uh, mm -hmm. In order to save the doctor, he gets shot in the leg. Now, are you on the IMDb page as well? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I also am aware of the piece of trivia which you are about to lay on me, which relates to Matthew Gray Goobler's leg. Does it not? Yeah, he was busted his knee while partying with the Five Hundred Days of Summer co-stars. <laughs> which I mean, what what kind? Number one. Who's busting their knee partying uh, after what I assume to be a Michael Sarah film? Um, but necessitating uh, that Dr. Reed get shot in the leg in the season opener so he can be in a wheelchair for the rest of the film. Note how and he that's just happens also, to be sitting throughout. 
Yes, yes. He also spends the rest of the episode sitting on a couch in front of a pile of paperwork so he doesn't have to walk around. And this then, in turn, starts a short-term arc across the, the season in which he walks around with crutches as his leg gradually gets better. <laughs> um, Everybody's talking about my crutches. Yeah, very amusing. Also, at the same time, right? Well, they still believe that the that the you know the guys doing what he said they was gonna do, and all of the behavioral evidence pointed to before it was a different thing. Uh, I just noted that the DC SWAT vans, because this is another show set in DC. DC very dangerous for spree killing. Mm -hmm. Um, they have a very nice serif font. Hmm, it's a really lovely font on the DC SWAT vans. They don't do it like that anymore, do they? No, no, you know, you know what? Whole, whole, whole justice system's gone down the tubes. It's all Helvetica now. It's all uh, big, big impact black block letter FBI's. You know, mm -hmm. it's all just letters made out of Punisher skulls now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um. Uh, actually, uh, sorry, I do, I do want to bring us back slightly to a moment just before this, right? Mm -hmm. Uh. When um, when the, the distraught doctor is asking the profilers, he says, you guys deal with a lot of these cases, right? And, uh, and they say, yeah, sure, sure. We deal with a lot of these cases. And he says, how do they end? As though he is talking about episodes of a TV show. And not, uh, you know, real life things that are happening to the people here. And... Uh, and they nobody looks like they want to say uh, sun death ninety five percent of the time. Look, you know, not, it, this is this is a real sun death heavy industry. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Go along to get along, please. So instead, uh, they give him the much sunnier news that it usually ends, or or I should say that they sidestep what he's really asking, which is what happens to the sun in all of these cases. Uh, and they give him the their their attempt at good news, which is that the suspect uh, usually dies of suicide by cop. Um, at the it's not like that the... is also what happens here, you know. Well, again, is it possible that they are simply willing the the resolutions of the case into existence? Mm -hmm. Uh, so so they say, ah, oh, suicide by cop is usually how it happens. So. Killer has very, very helpfully just found his way over to the house. Uh, he's taken a shot at the doctor. We've we've taken a medically necessary bullet to the leg for mm -hmm. Matthew Gray Goobler, um, who then says, get behind me, get behind me. And he picks up his gun, which he had dropped, and points it at the guy and says, hey, put your gun down. And uh, the the killer continues to have his gun raised and walk towards a federal agent that he has just shot. Mm -hmm. And the federal agent says, no, for real, you better put that gun down. Honestly. Mm. Honestly. I may at some point shoot you. Um, we, we have a thing uh, in my house when me and my wife are watching movies, which is um, I like to point my finger in the style of a gun at my TV screen and start yelling, bang, 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 bang at the point that the police would have actually started shooting the person. <laughs> yeah, like, the moment he walks onto the property. 
Yeah, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of points in movies. There's a whole lot of, like, you know, people doing these big tense negotiations with someone who's already brandished and fired a gun, that kind of thing. And in reality, it's like this dude takes one step out of the bank and is just instantly air-holed, mm-hmm. uh, which is absolutely what would have happened to this guy. Um, I think if you successfully shoot a federal agent in the leg, he is going to shoot you as many times as he humanly can. Uh, mm-hmm. in the next short bit of, of time. Instead, he says, hey, hey, come on now, behave, behave. If you're a good boy, we'll bring his son out for you. And um, <laughs> yeah, we'll, and the we'll, guy we'll... puts his gun down, like as in by his side, and then he's like, ooh, I kind of want to do suicide by cop, and starts lifting it up. Ooh, I'm gonna, please, no. Come on, this is, we'll give you a son, just put it down. Uh, so... He raises his gun, Matthew Gray Goobler shoots him in the tummy, uh, causing a killer to drop his gun. Uh-huh. And so the doctor gets up and does what emergency doctors do and immediately sets about trying to help him out. And when he gets over there, he kind of tosses the killer's gun to the side because Matthew Gray Goobler says in what, what was my favorite piece of dialogue from the entire movie, he's holding onto his leg and waving his arm to indicate like, you know, kick his gun. Uh, and he says, kick his gun away. Make sure his gun's not near him. Which for me was just beautiful. <laughs> beautiful bit of writing. Make sure his gun's not near him. Mm. Hey, just just double check where the gun is. Mm-hmm. If it's near him, yeah. uh, you know, do something about it. If he asks for the gun, don't give it to him. <laughs> no, matter um, how, no matter how badly he seems to want it. Uh, so basically... This case just perfectly resolves itself. Um, Basically, all they had to do was imagine some stuff that then instantly came true. I'm going to be keeping a keen eye on this theory as it goes on. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. About whether or not it's the act of profiling that actually conjures the the resolution of the case, you know? Um, So while all this has been happening... Uh, Paget Brewster was like, I'm just going to kind of cruise around town, see if I see Hodge in any record stores or bagel joints, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, she goes around to his house, uh, rings his phone, can hear it ringing inside, finally notices that the door is off the latch, um, takes herself in to find that there is a gunshot in a wall. She she scans the room like she's, um, like she's uh, Denzel Washington in The Equalizer. Um, she it goes whoosh, whoosh as she looks at different things around the room. She sees his keys are still there. His briefcase has just been thrown on the couch as though he'd only just mm. come home. There's his a phone big bullet hole sitting on the ground. Phone right there. Bullet hole in the wall. Very <gasps> large digital blood stain on the carpet. <laughs> Look, Hotch is a very tidy man. He wouldn't leave a bullet hole in the wall. Mm. He'd pick up his blood if he dropped it. Um, so at th- this is, this is the point at which I think, uh, the looking around at the hospitals kind of pays off. Uh, they say, Hey, they, someone did turn in a John Doe, except they said, Oh, here's his FBI credentials. And they gave the credentials of, uh, devastatingly handsome Shamar Moore instead. They said, that's strange. So they go over and check it out. Lo and behold, there is Hodge TV's Greg. 
Um, he has been stabbed nine times without hitting any arteries. Is that the deal? Well, okay. Um, that and because the uh, Reaper later reveals, do you know how many times you have to stab yourself in order to learn how to stab someone safely? A lot. Like I feel so like crazy. you don't. This is to me. This is like analogous to, um, say trainee tattoo artists like tattooing a piece of pig versus just doing stick and pokes on their own legs you know mm -hmm. so i gather that he's a stick and poke guy yeah he does he doesn't have the time to go out and get uh -huh. himself fake skin or whatever he's just he's he's doing it with what god gave him his own two legs right there you know <laughs> yeah, and uh, goofs on imdb when agent hodgner remembers being repeatedly stabbed by the safely stabbed by the reaper the movement of the fake blade is clearly visible due to the slow motion shot of the killer. Yes. Love it. Uh. So, uh, so really, the remainder of this episode is spent setting up what I assume will be a season-long conflict with the Reaper. We are... Although, actually, there's a little stinger at the end as well, isn't there? Um, so, you know, he's he says... Like you know, when he's come to in the hospital bed, he says, "What? What did the Reaper take? He always takes something from the crime scene." This man, he profiling from his hospital bed, you know. He's uh, and, never off. And Paget Brewster says, "He took one page from your planner under the address book section. It was the bees." Yeah. Uh, again, I always check, you know, if, especially if I'm very worried. I always, I thumb through the address book and make sure all the pages are intact. Because also, no one has ever removed a page from their own address book. Yes, there's, like, again, I don't know how you looked at an address book with a page missing and instantly came to the conclusion that the Reaper took it. And he says, ah, what did he leave? He always leaves something. <laughs> like, like, what did the writers of the Reaper character just like go into a convenience store, see a take a penny, leave a penny tray, and be like, "That's it. That's his trademark. Perfect. Is he's extra crazy, uh, and also takes and leaves something." Well, yeah, it's not very Reapy to leave something. I think <laughs> it's more. That's more of a distributor. Yeah, yeah. Um... Now, I guess the sort of the, so the very all right, our 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 serial killer is the retailer. <laughs> he takes <laughs> he takes something, then he leaves it at someone else's house at a profit. He does offer refunds. <laughs> um so I I think the kind of really thin logic of the show here, right, is that um when asked if he what he took they were able to think of something where you could plausibly say, I noticed that this thing was absent. Because when you go to somebody else, if you go to your friend's house and they ask you to look around, they go, what's missing? You would probably quite reasonably say, I don't fucking know. I don't live here and this isn't my stuff. <laughs> However, she was able to say, oh, I flipped through every page of every book in your apartment including your planner, notice that this page was missing. Probably the Reaper. Mm -hmm. uh, however, when they say, did he leave something, it's even harder to go into someone else's house and say, here's something that wasn't here before. You know? <laughs> of course. So, uh, seeing as they can't 
satisfactorily write an answer to that question into the show. Uh, she says, I don't know. And he says, give me my clothes. And they pull out his absolutely sopping in blood clothing from the bag. <laughs> and he pulls out his wallet. And the Reaper has put in a photo of his ex-wife and son. Played by Andy from Dawson's Creek. <laughs> Dawson, I, I like that. So they go to sit and protect like the wife and son. Um, who are like fine... Uh, and the son is, is when he's has gone to like get picked up from a friend's house or whatever, where no peril has been visited, visited upon him. Is like, mommy, they let me turn on the siren. It's like, <laughs> do you just like blow through a bunch of red lights because like a kid turned on the siren? It's very funny. Mommy, they let me fire the guns. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was allowed to kill a son. Um. So, so basically, you know, Hodge is left um, thoroughly stabbed in his hospital bed, um, telling his ex-wife that, you know, her and the son are going to have to go away and go into hiding. And he's very sorry about that, but he's going to stay here and he's 1000% going to nab the Reaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know that that's true because uh, she says, can you catch this man? And he says... I will catch this man. Mm-hmm. I will catch this of... man. I will catch this man. Yes. Don't worry. Um, Don't... I, Greg, shall catch this man. <laughs> uh, even at risk of running into Dharma. That's how much I care. Um, although there was a tantalizing suggestion at the end of the episode, and I felt that this is a nice little cliffhanger to leave it on, tantalizing suggestion maybe I think it was one of the other profilers says this but maybe when he did this to you you know uh, explained his motivations and stabbed you to make you like him maybe he was trying to to give you something more and make you a better profiler the suggestion that perhaps you know he's going to acquire some, some serial killer super empathy and he's going to turn into some sort of master profiler now. Yeah, yeah. This is look. This is basically on learning on the job. You know, getting a, it's getting a, a mentorship from a tough but fair, um, a, a master of the serial killing craft. One of the craziest to ever do it. Some types of experience you just can't teach. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was episode one of season five of the television show criminal minds i personally am am just i'm i'm tantalized to see future instances of uh of profiling taking place and i'm also very much intending to keep pressing this theory that they are in fact making the things happen mm-hmm. <laughs> because the things that are happening are so like unlikely and statistically anomalous based on the thin stuff that they know about both the killer and the person that they're trying to kill, what other explanation could there be? You know, Uh, they either have absolutely amazing luck or they're causing the events to happen. And I think we're going to find out, you know? Yeah. 
So, well, that's wonderful stuff. Shall we? Shall we conclude the first episode of this uh, re this season two, the Boney Island Whitefish: colon, the Boney Island Mindfish? Um, to uh, should we bring bring it to a close? Although I'd like to bring it to a close with a plug. Oh, um, hey, for people on the TF Patreon, you probably know this already, but for people on the Bunta Vista Patreon, uh, TF is coming to Australia. Uh, we are going to be doing shows. Shows in cities such as Melbourne and Brisbane, which if you live in, uh, tough luck, you can't go. The tickets are sold out. However, if you live in Melbourne and want to see Britonology, uh, Nate and Milo will be doing an episode of Britonology. Uh, and if you want to uh, see us in Canberra with the uh, Boney Allen Whitefish's own Andrew Law, uh, that is also going to be happening. You can do that. And I think we still have some tickets in Sydney. So uh, do check that out if you can. Wonderful. Honestly, folks, we did everything that we could to keep them out. Just couldn't get there. Yeah, yeah that's right. Well, you know, it's uh, you're, you didn't have a stable enough government. No. Well, we voted these bloody lefties in, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they're, they're, letting, they're letting in all the British podcasters, including the ones who are also Canadian. <laughs> All of our finest British-Canadian podcasters. <laughs> that's right. Excellent. Anyway. Well, that's all very exciting. Uh, we will throw a link to the, uh, to the Canberra show and the Sydney show. Those are the ones on the left. Yeah. Let me... Might throw, throw some links of those into the show notes. So check mm -hmm. that out. Mm -hmm. And um, we are excited to see you next time for Criminal Minds Season 5, Episode 2. Yes, Could very be. exciting. Episode 2, Haunted. Ooh, ooh, spooky. Just in time for Halloween! Ooh, <laughs> yes! Okay. Yes! All right. Yes! Oh, it was, of course, this was faded. It's um, going to work well. Okay. All right. All right. Talk to you soon, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>